Part three of Timaeus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Timaeus by Plato. Translated by Benjamin Jowett. Part three. Timaeus continues. To know or tell the origin of the other divinities is beyond us, and we must accept the traditions of the men of old time who affirm themselves to be the offspring of the gods that is what they say, and they must surely have known their own ancestors. How can we doubt the word of the children of the gods? Although they give no probable or certain proofs, still, as they declare that they are speaking of what took place in their own family, we must conform to custom and believe them. In this manner, then, according to them, the genealogy of these gods is to be received and set forth. Oceanus and Tethys were the children of earth and heaven, and from these sprang Phorsis and Kronos and Rhea and all that generation, and from Kronos and Rhea sprang Zeus and Hire, and all those who are said to be their brethren, and others who were the children of these. Now, when all of them, both those who visibly appear in their evolutions as well as those other gods who are of a more retiring nature, had come into being, the creator of the universe addressed them in these words, Gods, children of gods, who are my works, and of whom I am the artificer and father, my creations are indissoluble, if so I will. All that is bound may be undone, but only an evil being would wish to undo that which is harmonious and happy. Wherefore, since ye are but creatures, ye are not altogether immortal and indissoluble, but ye shall certainly not be dissolved, nor be liable to the fate of death, having in my will a greater and mightier bond than those with which you were bound at the time of your birth. And now listen to my instructions. Three tribes of mortal beings remain to be created. Without them the universe will be incomplete, for it will not contain every kind of animal which it ought to contain if it is to be perfect. On the other hand, if they were created by me and received life at my hands, they would be on an equality with the gods. In order, then, that they may be mortal, and that this universe may be truly universal, do ye, according to your natures, betake yourselves to the formation of animals, imitating the power which was shown by me in creating you. The part of them worthy of the name immortal, which is called divine, and is the guiding principle of those who are willing to follow justice and you, of that divine part I will myself sow the seed, and having made a beginning, I will hand the work over to you. And do ye then interweave the mortal with the immortal, and make and beget living creatures, and give them food, and make them to grow, and receive them again in death. Thus he spake, and once more into the cup in which he had previously mingled the soul of the universe, he poured the remains of the elements, and mingled them in much the same manner. They were not, however, pure as before, but diluted to the second and third degree and having made it, he divided the whole mixture into souls equal in number to the stars, and assigned each soul to a star, and having there placed them as in a chariot, he showed them the nature of the universe, and declared to them the laws of destiny, according to which their first birth would be one and the same for all. No one should suffer a disadvantage at his hands, they were to be sown in the instruments of time severally adapted to them, and to come forth the most religious of animals, and as human nature was of two kinds, the superior race would hereafter be called man. 
Now, when they should be implanted in bodies by necessity, and be always gaining or losing some part of their bodily substance, then in the first place it would be necessary that they should all have in them one and the same faculty of sensation, arising out of irresistible impressions. In the second place they must have love, in which pleasure and pain mingle, also fear and anger, and the feelings which are akin or opposite to them. If they conquered these, they would live righteously, and if they were conquered by them, unrighteously. He who lived well during his appointed time was to return and dwell in his native star, and there he would have a blessed and congenial existence. But if he failed in attaining this, at the second birth he would pass into a woman, and if, when in that state of being, he did not desist from evil, he would continually be changed into some brute who resembled him in the evil nature which he had acquired, and would not cease from his toils and transformations until he followed the revolution of the same and the like within him, and overcame by the help of reason the turbulent and irrational mob of later accretions, made up of fire and air and water and earth, and returned to the form of his first and better state. Having given all these laws to his creatures, that he might be guiltless of future evil in any of them, the Creator sowed some of them in the earth, and some in the moon, and some in the other instruments of time, and when he had sown them, he committed to the younger gods the fashioning of their mortal bodies, and desired them to furnish what was still lacking to the human soul, and having made all the suitable additions to rule over them, and to pilot the mortal animal in the best and wisest manner which they could, and avert from him all but self-inflicted evils. When the Creator had made all these ordinances, he remained in his own accustomed nature, and his children heard and were obedient to their father's word, and receiving from him the immortal principle of a mortal creature, in imitation of their own creator they borrowed portions of fire and earth and water and air from the world, which were hereafter to be restored. These they took and welded them together, not with the indissoluble chains by which they were themselves bound, but with little pegs too small to be visible, making up out of all the four elements each separate body, and fastening the courses of the immortal soul in a body which was in a state of perpetual influx and efflux. Now these courses, detained as in a vast river, neither overcame nor were overcome, but were hurrying and hurried to and fro, so that the whole animal was moved and progressed, irregularly, however, and irrationally, and anyhow, in all the six directions of motion, wandering backwards and forwards, and right and left, and up and down, and in all the six directions. For great as was the advancing and retiring flood which provided nourishment, the affections produced by external contact caused still greater tumult. When the body of any one met and came into collision with some external fire, or with the solid earth, or the gliding waters, or was caught in the tempest borne on the air, and the motions produced by any of these impulses were carried through the body to the soul. All such motions have consequently received the general name of sensations, which they still retain. And they did in fact at that time create a very great and mighty movement, uniting with the ever-flowing stream in stirring up and violently shaking the courses of the soul. They completely stopped the revolution of the same by their opposing current, and hindered it from predominating and advancing and they so disturbed the nature of the other, or diverse, that the three double intervals, that is, between one, two, four, eight, and the three triple intervals, that is, between 
one three nine twenty seven together with the mean terms and connecting links which are expressed by the ratios of three to two and four to three and of nine to eight these although they cannot be wholly undone except by him who united them were twisted by them in all sorts of ways and the circles were broken and disordered in every possible manner so that when they moved they were tumbling to pieces and moved irrationally at one time in a reverse direction and then again obliquely and then upside down as you might imagine a person who is upside down and has his head leaning upon the ground and his feet up against something in the air and when he is in such a position both he and the spectator fancy that the right of either is his left and the left right if when powerfully experiencing these and similar effects the revolutions of the soul come in contact with some external thing either of the class of the same or of the other they speak of the same or of the other in a manner the very opposite of the truth and they become false and foolish and there is no cause or revolution in them which has a guiding or directing power and if again any sensations enter in violently from without and drag after them the whole vessel of the soul and the courses of the soul though they seem to conquer are really conquered and by reason of all these affections the soul when encased in a mortal body now as in the beginning is at first without intelligence but when the flood of growth and nutriment abates and the courses of the soul calming down go their own way and become steadier as time goes on then the several circles return to their natural form and the revolutions are corrected and they call the same and the other by their right names and make the possessor of them to become a rational being and if these combine in him with any true nurture or education he attains the fullness and health of the perfect man and escapes the worst disease of all but if he neglects education he walks lame to the end of his life and returns imperfect and good for nothing to the world below this however is a later stage at present we must treat more exactly the subject before us which involves a preliminary inquiry into the generation of the body and its members and as to how the soul was created for what reason and by what providence of the gods and holding fast to probability we must pursue our way first then the gods imitating the spherical shape of the universe enclosed the two divine courses in a spherical body that namely which we now term the head being the most divine part of us and the lord of all that is in us to this the gods when they put together the body gave all the other members to be servants considering that it partook of every sort of motion in order then that it might not tumble about among the high and deep places of the earth but might be able to get over the one and out of the other they provided the body to be its vehicle and means of locomotion which consequently had length and was furnished with four limbs extended and flexible these god contrived to be instruments of locomotion with which it might take hold and find support and so be able to pass through all places carrying on high the dwelling-place of the most sacred and divine part of us such was the origin of legs and hands which for this reason were attached to every man and the gods deeming the front part of man to be more honourable and more fit to command than the hinder part made us to move mostly in a forward direction wherefore man must needs have his front part unlike and distinguished from the rest of his body and so in the vessel of the head they first of all put a face in which they inserted organs to minister in all things to the providence of the soul 
and they appointed this part, which has authority, to be by nature the part which is in front. And of the organs they first contrived the eyes to give light, and the principle according to which they were inserted was as follows. So much of fire as would not burn but gave a gentle light, they formed into a substance akin to the light of everyday life, and the pure fire which is within us, and related thereto, they made to flow through the eyes in a stream smooth and dense, compressing the whole eye, and especially the centre part, so that it kept out everything of a coarser nature, and allowed to pass only this pure element. When the light of day surrounds the stream of vision, then like falls upon like, and they coalesce, and one body is formed by natural affinity in the line of vision, wherever the light that falls from within meets with an external object. And the whole stream of vision, being similarly affected in virtue of similarity, diffuses the motions of what it touches, or what touches it, over the whole body, until they reach the soul, causing that perception which we call sight. But when night comes on, and the external and kindred fire departs, then the stream of vision is cut off, for going forth to an unlike element it is changed and extinguished, being no longer of one nature with the surrounding atmosphere which is now deprived of fire, and so the eye no longer sees, and we feel disposed to sleep. For when the eyelids, which the gods invented for the preservation of sight, are closed, they keep in the internal fire, and the power of the fire diffuses and equalizes the inward motions. When they are equalized there is rest, and when the rest is profound, sleep comes over us, scarce disturbed by dreams. But where the greater motions still remain, of whatever nature and in whatever locality, they engender corresponding visions in dreams, which are remembered by us when we are awake and in the external world. And now there is no longer any difficulty in understanding the creation of images in mirrors, and all smooth and bright services. For, from the communion of the internal and external fires, and again from the union of them and their numerous transformations when they meet in the mirror, all these appearances of necessity arise, when the fire from the face coalesces with the fire from the eye on the bright and smooth surface. And right appears left and left right, because the visual rays come into contact with the rays emitted by the object in a manner contrary to the usual mode of meeting. But the right appears right, and the left left, when the position of one of the two concurring lights is reversed, and this happens when the mirror is concave, and its smooth surface repels the right stream of vision to the left side, and the left to the right. Or, if the mirror be turned vertically, then the concavity makes the countenance appear to be all upside down, and the lower rays are driven upwards, and the upper downwards. All these are to be reckoned among the second and cooperative causes which God, carrying into execution the idea of the best as far as possible, uses as his ministers. They are thought by most men not to be the second, but the prime causes of all things, because they freeze and heat, and contract and dilate, and the like. But they are not so, for they are incapable of reason or intellect. The only being which can properly have mind is the invisible soul, whereas fire and water, and earth and air, are all of them visible bodies. The lover of intellect and knowledge ought to explore causes of intelligent nature first of all, and secondly, of those things which, being moved by others, are compelled to move others. And this is what we too must do. Both kinds of causes should be acknowledged by us, but a distinction should be made between those which are endowed with mind, and are the workers of things fair and good, 
and those which are deprived of intelligence, and always produce chance effects without order or design. Of the second or cooperative causes of sight, which help to give to the eyes the power which they now possess, enough has been said. I will therefore now proceed to speak of the higher use and purpose for which God has given them to us. The sight, in my opinion, is the source of the greatest benefit to us, for had we never seen the stars, and the sun, and the heaven, none of the words which we have spoken about the universe would ever have been uttered. But now the sight of day and night, and the months and the revolutions of the years, have created number, and have given us a conception of time, and the power of inquiring about the nature of the universe, and from this source we have derived philosophy, than which no greater good ever was or will be given by the gods to mortal man. This is the greatest boon of sight. And of the lesser benefits, why should I speak? Even the ordinary man, if he were deprived of them, would bewail his loss, but in vain. Thus much let me say, however. God invented and gave us sight to the end that we might behold the courses of intelligence in the heaven, and apply them to the courses of our own intelligence, which are akin to them, the unperturbed to the perturbed, and that we, learning them, and partaking of the natural truth of reason, might imitate the absolutely unerring courses of God, and regulate our own vagaries. The same may be affirmed of speech and hearing. They have been given by the gods to the same end, and for a like reason. For this is the principal end of speech, whereto it most contributes. Moreover, so much of music as is adapted to the sound of the voice, and to the sense of hearing, is granted to us for the sake of harmony and harmony, which has motions akin to the revolutions of our souls, is not regarded by the intelligent votary of the muses, as given by them with a view to irrational pleasure, which is deemed to be the purpose of it in our day, but as meant to correct any discord which may have arisen in the courses of the soul, and to be our ally in bringing her into harmony and agreement with herself. And rhythm, too, was given by them for the same reason, on account of the irregular and graceless ways which prevail among mankind generally, and to help us against them. End of part three.